Well, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1. This is a message that, I, that I've spent quite, quite some time preparing and, um, because I've given it a couple of times before. But what I want you to know is that as I was preparing this message, in, in just in God's sovereignty, so often Lakeview was on my heart as I was preparing this message. And so this is a unique privilege for me to be able to, to share God's word with you in, in this text in particular. And um, certainly it, it was birthed out of just uh, some of our experiences in our own church and how God has used us and knowing names and faces in our, in our dear body back in Midland. But all along there was like this dual thing going on that I'm just thinking, oh Lord, I, I don't know why, but this Lakeview kept coming to mind. I think that may have been the Lord just preparing me for this moment that I'm very thankful to have. And before we read, we'll be reading verses 3 through 7. Before we read, I just want to remind you that, that what we're about to read, this is, this is the Word of God. This is powerful, and this is active and alive. Now, I know my Bible is rather small, but that doesn't minimize the power that's contained right here. Of, of everything that's going to be said this morning, this is the infallible, authoritative word of God. This is God's special revelation to us. So a- as we read, let God speak authoritatively to you through his word. This, this word, the, the Bible is as... As, as though it has arms and hands and feet. And as we read it, God is reaching out and grabbing us and speaking to us. So as we read God's word, let, let it have that force and impact and authority in your life. Because that's the reality of the word of God. So of all that will be said this morning, this, this is God's word, what we're about to read. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, It is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Let's pray together. Father, I pray right now that you would be good to your people through this word. God, let the reality and the truth of these verses encourage the faint-hearted, admonish the unruly. God, that it would produce hope and joy in many that are here today that may be going through sufferings or unique trials. God, be faithful to the preaching of your word and 
take, take the reality of this word and deliver it uniquely to individual hearts so that people can see exactly where you're speaking to them in their life. Do this for your glory, God, and help me to communicate clearly and with, with the passion that, that accords with this text. In Jesus' name, amen. In April, I and several of you pastors got to go to together for the gospel. And at that meeting, there was a pastor named Matt Chandler that shared a story with us of how God had worked through his suffering. Now, he's a pastor of a church in Dallas, Texas. On Thanksgiving, he had suffered an unexpected seizure and was taken to the hospital. He had no idea that he would be soon diagnosed with an aggressive form of brain cancer and would undergo brain surgery the following Friday. Early on, Matt and his family, along with the pastoral team, decided to keep this issue public despite the poor prognosis and personally difficult nature of the struggle. And he describes his experience this way. This is what got me. Listen to this. A great deal of fear and at the same time, a great deal of gratitude that God, this is it, was going to trust me with this. That God was going to let me suffer well in front of the people of the village, that's the name of his church, and then suffer well in front of you. Now, now bear in mind that he's not speaking just to his church, but he's speaking to 7,000 pastors from all over the world. And he went on to talk about the the ripple effects of his experience in his own church and in the evangelical community at large. This guy, Matt Chandler, understood something that our text is getting at this morning. The work that God is doing in and through this man is way bigger than just that man. And that's Paul's point here in 2 Corinthians. And he, he wants these Corinthians to know that God is going to meet them and us in trials, persecution, and suffering, but that it won't stop there. So he wants to, to broaden our perspective and our understanding of suffering, which, which is something that is so unique and such an individual experience, right? But he wants to broaden our understanding of suffering and help us to see that God comforts us so that we can comfort others. So if I had to sum up verses 3 through 7 in one sentence, that would be it. That God comforts us so that we can comfort others. Now, it may be surprising that in a text that deals largely with suffering, Paul doesn't get into the, the whys of suffering right here and how God can allow evil or suffering in the world. The, the focus is not necessarily God's sovereignty in suffering as a general concept or as a topic of systematic theology. Rather, suffering is the assumed reality in this text. Paul's focus here is on this horizontal, corporate, communal aspect of suffering, and in particular, the aspect of comfort. So I have three points that come out of this text this morning. The first one is the source of our comfort. In verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. These are verses that usually in the beginning of a book, you know, we just kind of pass over. Like this is just Paul's throwing out some Christian buzzwords or something. But this is important. What he says here is very important. Paul is, is taking what, what is actually just a Hebrew common greeting, blessed be 
blessed be God the Father. He takes this common greeting and makes it uniquely Christological and uniquely Trinitarian. And so he's not just throwing out Christian buzzwords here, but by his very word choice, he's teaching the church that he loves something that they must understand about God. And that's this, that because he is the father of mercies, we can receive comfort. And this verse should just, should just stop us right there. Because we are all sinners. We deserved wrath, not comfort. That because of our sin and the wall that it places between us and God, we have no business in knowing God as a God of comfort or as a father of mercy. We should know him only as a God of wrath because having broken his law, we have, we have violated his commandments. We stand guilty and we deserve the penalty for all of our sin. And so we, we should know him as a God of wrath, not as a father of mercy. But because he's a father of mercy and a God of comfort, we, we can receive the forgiveness of our sins. See, that's the greatest comfort. The greatest comfort is not a, a, a better overstuffed chair or a first-class flight seat where you can lay all the way back and be comfortable or the cable package with the, the, all the channels and all the sports. Those are not the comfort things that we really need. The greatest comfort we can experience is having our sins forgiven and knowing God as the Father of mercies. So it's not better circumstances. The the greatest comfort we could receive and really the foundation of all other comforts is knowing that our sins have been forgiven. Now it's possible that there are some here that do not know the, the sweet joy and comfort of having your sins forgiven. Perhaps you know God as distant and far away and off out there. Somebody that that is very abstract or general or some being or some impersonal force that's out there. Do you realize that God is offering you today the opportunity to know him as the God of all comfort? To take care of the problem of sin that stands between you and God so that you cannot know him as that God of wrath, but you can know him intimately as the father of mercy, the God of all comfort. The Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to remove that wrath that we deserved because of our sin. Our comfort is not earned. He's not saying you need to clean up your act in order to receive this comfort. You come to Him with all of your sin. You bring Him your sin and He he forgives you of your sin. He removes the dividing wall that stood between you and God and says, I'm going to give you love. I'm going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to place my perfect righteousness and holiness on you so that you can know me as a God of comfort. That's mercy. And this, this saving comfort opens the door then for a specific comfort. So he's saying, I'm not simply going to remove wrath through my son, but I'm going to administer a specific personal comfort to you through the Holy Spirit. So we come to know this God and Father of mercy, the God of all comfort. How, how do we come to know him that way? Well, because the Holy Spirit makes that known to us. Do you remember what Jesus said? And I will pray to the Father and he will give you another comforter. It's the same word in the original language that's used here for the Holy Spirit. And he will abide with you forever, John fourteen sixteen. That word is used here in verses three through seven, no less than 10 times. Obviously, Paul wants him to get this concept of comfort. 
And I think there's an there's a important connection between that and the Holy Spirit's work. So look what's happening here. So Christ, Christ is the means that makes comfort possible. He removes the wrath that was between us and God. The Holy Spirit is that internal witness that ministers comfort to us. And God the Father is the source of it all. So Christ is the means, the Spirit is the witness, the Father is the source of it all. This comfort, you could say, this comfort that God has for us is not some side perk, some extra benefit, just bonus material on the DVD. This comfort that God has for us comes and arrives in our life with Trinitarian force. This is the triune God operating to administer comfort to his people that he so loves. That, that's amazing. That, that's an amazing way to look at comfort. And it's just right here in verse 3. God is the source of it all. And, and no wonder that he, he begins with an exclamation. Blessed be God, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Because he, he's beholding something here that is so important. God, the Father, is the source of all comfort. You know, it's like a hose that's wrapped up on the ground and it's sitting there and it's coiled. It's not doing any good just sitting there. But when it's connected to the faucet, it's connected to a source, now all of a sudden it has meaning. It operates the way it was supposed to operate. Otherwise, it's just sitting there and it's not doing anything. And in the same way, a Christian is vitally connected to a never-ending source of comfort in God the Father. It just doesn't get any better than that. You know, in the world, people turn to all kinds of Sources of comfort. I have, I have served in our church in, in, in lay leadership type positions, but for the last nine years, I've worked professionally as a registered nurse in a hospital. And in that setting, I'm observing people regularly who are, who are often very well off and uh, seem to have their lives together, make a lot of money. But watching people just wreck their lives as they turn to all kinds of other sources of comfort, whether that be in accumulating more stuff, whether that be in drugs or drunkenness all the time, alcohol, whether that be through just endless internet surfing, whether it be through some false you know, image or, or, or some false personality that they've created online through which they find comfort from other people, even though it's not really real. And they turn to all kinds of sources of comfort. Even Christians can do that. But these sources of comfort rarely produce. And what they, when they do produce, it's short-lived. It's not the never-ending eternal source of comfort of God the Father that we have. Why would we turn to substitutes? What, what alternate source might you be connecting to in the hope of receiving comfort? You know, how do you answer the question, if I only had blank, then things would be better? Some of you may be thinking, by this point in my life, I should have been blank. You know, how, how you fill in that blank is very important. Now, hope deferred, unmet expectations, disappointments are realities that we all encounter. So I don't want to minimize that for one minute. But, and the reality is God wants to comfort you even in hope deferred, even in unmet expectations. But, but don't believe the lie that the obtaining of those things will produce comfort because the reality is they won't. 
Rather, we have the invitation to come to the Father. Come to the source of all comfort. He is a never-ending supply of comfort. All other things are short-lived and will not ultimately satisfy. Even things that God can give that are good. No, he, he is the source of comfort. Since he's the source of comfort in our afflictions, his comforts come with a very specific purpose. Point two, the purpose of our comfort. Now we've seen the source of our comfort and that, that source has a purpose. And the purpose is both inward and outward. Verses four through six. In verse four, he says, who comforts us in our affliction. And to give you a bit of a background here, false teachers had come in and claimed that Paul was not really an apostle. That this guy is not, not really valid, you know, because uh, he, wasn't, he didn't walk around with Jesus. And not only that, but he, he suffered a lot. Now, there were many false apostles, so their perception was good to be thinking like that. There were a lot of guys that, that said, oh, yeah, I'm an apostle, you know. I hung with the man. And it may mean, like, in a crowd of a thousand people, they saw him. You know, you ever met these people? Like, like yeah, you know, I know Bono. Uh, you know, we, we're good friends. And, and all it was was that they got backstage passes, and as Bono was passing by, he, like, touched his coat. Like, yeah, you know, me and Bono. That, that was kind of happening with Jesus, where people, people said, you know, I'm an apostle. And they weren't. They weren't true apostles. Paul had that accusation thrown at him. But he also had the accusation that, buddy, you suffer. You know, if, if you were really a, a, a super apostle, if you're really this great man of God, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be going through all this. In verses um, 8 through 10, which we're not even looking at this morning, Paul talks about an, a near-death experience that he had <laughs> because of being a Christian. So Paul, Paul's in, Paul is, is, is in this place where he's saying, guys, even in my suffering, God has you in mind. He's using my suffering so that I can take the comfort that I receive in that and, and bring it to you. His intention is that is that his suffering would not lead the Corinthians to despair and discouragement. No, it was, it's that his, his suffering would lead them to the God of all comfort, where they could experience the same comfort that Paul is experiencing. He's saying, guys, my comfort has a purpose. And more than that, the comfort I receive from the Father has a purpose, and that purpose is you. That purpose is your comfort. In other words, God comforts Paul so he can comfort the Corinthians with this letter. So the comfort of God, there, there's, a, there's certainly that inward individual aspect. He says, who comforts us in all our affliction. So this is not a message to say, hey guys, just stop thinking about yourself. You need to start thinking about other people when you suffer. No, pa- Paul experienced a comfort. He had a personal experience of his own comfort that was very real. And you know what? It doesn't matter what level of suffering or affliction that we experience. He says he comforts us in all our affliction. Now, there are degrees of suffering. There are degrees of affliction and trial that we go through. In the immediate context, certainly what is in view is the the persecution that Paul was undergoing. But I think that, that the application can be broader to really any kind of persecution or affliction that we experience. No doubt... There are many here who have have experienced pain and difficulty like I could not even imagine. But I want to caution us against 
comparing our experience of suffering to what somebody else might be going through. The point is not who suffers the worst, but the point is that no matter how big or how small your suffering is, or whether you suffer for the gospel or whether you suffer because you live in a fallen world, God comforts us in all that suffering, all of that affliction. So comparison is a a dead-end street, especially when it comes to suffering. So Piper has a phrase I love, comparison kills contentment. That that has spoken to me so much in calling and, and so many areas, but especially in this area of suffering, that comparison kills contentment. There's no sense in comparing our suffering to others. You know what? What is your norm? What is your baseline? You know, things are good. You're just walking in the blessings of the Lord. No problem. All of a sudden, something lands in your life, and it just disrupts everything, and it throws things off course. And now you're back to that other question we talked about. If I only had blank, then things would be better. Or if I could only get more money, or if I could only get that promotion, or if I only was pregnant, if I was only married, if I was only retired, if I only had this or that, or a better covenant group, or, you know, whatever. You fill in the blank. Whatever, whatever your deviation from the norm is, you know what, that, that's a form of suffering. And in that, God wants to meet you in that. So that, that's the good news. Doesn't matter what the level of suffering is. Remember Psalm 23, 4. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Look at the way Paul says almost the exact same thing here in verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So the comfort he gives us is real and it's personal. So is there any difficulty so small that you don't need God's comfort? If so, I mean, does that reflect a a self-sufficiency? But Paul here is, is celebrating. We have the God of all comfort on our side. He comforts us in every affliction that we face. For every level of affliction, we need, we need the comfort that only God can bring. But that comfort doesn't just stop with us. Verse 5, he uses the word share abundantly. It's a word in the original language actually means overflows. Which I just love that picture. The, the comfort we receive is one that should overflow to other people. It's a picture that, that says that the comfort doesn't stop, for instance, when my cup is full. But God keeps pouring on the comfort so that that comfort can have an overflowing outward effect towards other people. Brings me to the second point under, under purpose of our comfort. It, so we just saw it's inward, but it is also outward so that we can comfort others. For Paul, the comfort he received didn't just stop with him. Not me. So often when I have gone through difficulty, I have received comfort from God and his word. And I've said, thank you, Lord. And you just get up and you just move on. And there may be people that are still hurting, that are still walking through pain and affliction. And it may be different than yours. It may be the same as yours. But there are people that are just, you know, the, the common experience of human need is all around us. And, I, and I've found myself so often receiving comfort from God and saying, thank you, Lord, and just moving on. And I think God in this text is wanting to tell us, hey, slow down. L- look around. This, this comfort should have an overflowing effect. 
The same way the sufferings of Christ overflow into your life, the same way you go through suffering and affliction, comfort should overflow into other people's lives as well. Sometimes I think I just need to get through this. I, I, I can barely stay above water. I'm just, I'm just struggling to stay alive right now. If it's so difficult, you just think I just can't, I, I can't even imagine going on. This is too hard. I feel like I'm suffocating. It can't get any worse than this. God is not saying, you know, hey, pull yourself up and, and think about other people. He's saying, remember, inward and outward. He's saying, I'm going to meet you and give you comfort, but I don't want that comfort to stop with you. I want it to spill out onto other people's lives and comfort them as well. So we comfort others Number one, with sustaining comfort. Before we came to the PC, um, that's the pastor's college, in case you're wondering. Danette and I, just to let you a little bit in on on our personal life, Danette and I have um, dealt with infertility for three years now. And if you know Danette, you know her amazing love and affection and desire for children that she's had since she was a little bitty girl. And... The, the, the pain of that, the difficulty of walking through that is, is often misunderstood by people. It's often an awkward topic of conversation. People are not sure how to relate. We've, we've been on all ends of the spectrum of receiving great care and often feeling alone. But before we came to the PC, we, we actually ended up meeting a couple at, together at the leadership conference who was applying for pastor's college as well, and they were also dealing with infertility at the same time. So it's amazing that in God's sovereignty, he would bring us another couple who's walking through the same thing and let us be able to relate to them in the PC. It was just such a blessing. Well, during that time, Danette, um, Danette and Megan, that's her name, and they've given me permission to share the story. Danette and Megan started emailing and started talking and and just sharing the scriptures with one another. And God just began to comfort us in so many ways. One day after we arrived at the PC, Megan shared some scripture verses that had really comforted her through all the doubts and fears that came with the pain of infertility. She said that these were scriptures that she really stood on when it was most difficult. So in her kindness, she made Danette these feet. So she just basically traced her foot out and wrote some scriptures on it. She said, these are promises of the Lord that I stand on. So great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. You hem me in and behind and before you've laid your hand upon me. In perfect faithfulness, you have done marvelous things planned long ago. You know, I know the plans I have for you. Praise be to God who daily bears our burdens. All your ways toward me are loving and faithful. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. And Danette would take these feet, just like Megan would do, and she'd set them on the ground. And during those particularly difficult times, when the monthly reminder came that, once again, you are not pregnant, and that taunting voice was there, and it was most difficult... Danette would turn to these scriptures and put these feet here and stand on them and say, Lord, I'm standing on your promise. Praise be to God who daily bears all of my burdens. When I feel alone, you're bearing the burden with me. 
And she would stand on these and found so much specific comfort in our experience of infertility. God comforted Megan so that Megan could comfort Danette. That's what this verse is talking about. Okay? This is a simple, this is a simple little illustration here. I mean, there, it's not done on fancy stationery. It's not even done with a computer. She just, just wrote scriptures on here. There's no fancy drawings. It's a simple little illustration. You know, they're, they're all left feet. <laughs> but... Either, either that I was trying to, either that or she uh, she wrote on the wrong side of the page for half of them. Maybe. But that's okay because that that brings in the flawed imperfections of of the whole analogy. But that that we are flawed human beings, and some of us only draw left feet, and some of us only I clap left-handed. My dad always made fun of me for it. I don't know why. You'll you'll figure that out by the end probably. But God comforted Megan so that Megan could comfort Danette. That's an example using similar experiences. But you know, you don't have to experience the same thing as the other person to comfort the other person. So often I've missed the comfort that God wanted to bring to me because I've said, you know what? You don't have a clue what I'm going through. And God is here trying to minister comfort. Do you realize the way that God often ministers comfort is through other people? So when, why would we want to, you know, we'd say, well, I wouldn't push God away, but we would push away those that God would use. No, God wants to administer comfort through these people. Verse four at the end there, it says, with, what are we comforting them with? With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Comforting others is not limited to like experiences. So it's not like, well, People with infertility comfort people with infertility and singles comfort singles. And no, it it goes deeper than that. It it goes deeper too than merely offering some trite comment. Murray J. Harris says this, that throughout 2 Corinthians, the comfort Paul is depicting is a consolatory strengthening in the face of adversity that affords spiritual refreshment. Let me say that again. It's a consolatory strengthening in the face of adversity that affords spiritual refreshment. It's much more than a verbal solace or an expression of sympathy. You know, if I come to a single person and just merely say, you know, God will provide a spouse. That's not always helpful. It's not always comforting. Reality is he may not, right? Comforting somebody is more than offering just a trite comment. When you comfort someone else, as verse 4 says, with the comfort with which you have been comforted by God, you are bringing some specific aspect of God's truth to bear in that person's situation. Let's say that again. You're, You're bringing some specific aspect of God's truth to bear in that person's situation. For example, singleness. He said, God will provide a spouse. Well, maybe not. An alternative might be, You know what? I don't have a clue what you're going through. But I do know that God never leaves his people or forsakes them, that he has not forgotten you, that he will carry you, he will sustain you. It's it's like this. It's finding the common denominator in the experience of human need. You know, I don't really know what it's like to be single for a long time. 
Some of you know, I, I got married when I was 20 years old. Danette was 20. So we've been married nine years. And uh, it's been wonderful nine years. It's hard to believe we are more in love now than we were when we started. It's just amazing. But I don't know what it's like to be single for a long time. I mean, I kind of moved out and was single, I guess, for a year and a half, basically. Um, I mean, you're always single from the time you're born. But I mean, you know, the experience of singleness. uh, I haven't really had to walk through that. But God comforted Danette and me in so many ways that, that we don't have to go through the singleness prolonged singleness experience to be able to comfort people in singleness. We don't have to go through the cancer diagnosis or the rebellious teenager experience to somehow qualify in order to comfort people that are going through those situations. And you don't either. Because the reality is we're all recipients of comfort and therefore dispensers of comfort. We're both. We're all recipients of comfort. We're all dispensers of comfort. So you ask yourself, what specific truth about God or myself has comforted me in my experience? Because that's the very truth that God wants to bring to someone else in their experience. That's what biblical comfort is all about. So if we were to define comfort, we already said it's not just improved circumstances or something like that. No, it's it's bringing the truth of God to bear in a situation in a way that sustains you in a way that assures you of God's loving care for you. It's bringing the truth of God to bear in a situation in a way that sustains you and assures you of God's loving care for you. That's, that's my definition of comfort. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here in these verses. Sometimes an individual who's suffering may feel like no one understands what I'm going through. Well, the reality is, I'm coming not to say I've stood in your shoes, but I'm coming to point them to the Savior who does understand what they're going through. I want to help you see him because he understands and he is the God of all comfort. So if it's singleness, I may say, I don't know what it's like to go through prolonged singleness, but you know what? I do know what it's like to desire something that God has said is good and to not receive it. For us, it's pregnancy. For somebody else, it's a spouse. For somebody else, it's, it's maybe ministry, full-time ministry. You're longing for something that God has said is good and you're not, you're not receiving it. There seems to be delay. Okay, I don't know what singleness is, but because God has met me in infertility, now I have some specific truth about God that I can bring to that person in their experience that will comfort them, that will sustain them, that will assure them of God's loving care for them. Boy, that, that's, how, that's how the body of Christ cares for one another. That's how we walk through difficulty and pain and trial and suffering together. Think about what this means for evangelism, that we comfort people with not just sustaining comfort in the body, but with saving comfort. You remember Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. They're praying, they're singing hymns to God. God sends an earthquake, they're set free and the jailer is about to kill himself and Paul calls out to him and and says, do not harm yourself for we're all here. And what happens? The jailer and his family get saved. Paul's sufferings led to the everlasting comfort of the Philippian jailer. He says, we're here. We have been comforted by God. We've had our sins forgiven, jailer. Don't end your life 
The jailer thought he was gonna he was gonna get killed anyway because the prisoners were going free. He said, "Well, rather than them kill me, I may as well kill myself. I'm gonna die anyway. Let's get it over with." Paul's arriving, saying, "No, we're here. Guess what? We've received comfort. We've had our sins forgiven. God has met us. And jailer, we're here. We have a message, and we want you to know that God can comfort you as well. Your sins can be forgiven as well." He gives them the gospel. The jailer gets saved. So Paul's comfort led to the everlasting eternal comfort of the Philippian jailer. That's why Paul can say with confidence in verse 6 that if we are afflicted, it is not just for your comfort. Look what it says in verse 6. It's for your comfort and salvation. When you think, what's the point of what I'm going through? Why am I suffering this way? May you see that when God carries you through this dark time, his purpose in doing so is bigger than you. He's putting on display the supreme worth of his son and he's depositing something into you that you'll be able to deposit into others. Oh, nothing affords an opportunity like this, like suffering. So we're both recipients and dispensers of comfort. And the end result of all this is point three, the fruit of our comfort is unshakable hope. So just to recap, the source of our comfort is God the Father. The purpose of our comfort is both inward and outward. And the fruit of our comfort is unshakable hope. He says in verse 7, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul is so certain that God comforts us so we can comfort others that he has unshakable hope. He's saying, you know what, it's not in vain. There is a purpose. I have a hope for the future. The next time I'm called to suffer, I know the Father will comfort me again. And he wants these Corinthians to know that, that when they suffer like he suffers, they will be comforted like he has been comforted. He wants to infuse hope into their hearts so that they won't grow discouraged. That's why he says unshakable hope. And really so much of the Corinthian correspondence is about this, that Paul is saying, look, it's going to be tough. You're going to suffer, but God's going to meet you in this. He's going to comfort you. I want you to have hope. That's the Corinthian correspondence, but even specifically more so 2 Corinthians. And I would say even more so 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that's, what, that's the nail that Paul is hammering the most. He knows that suffering well and, experience comf- and experiencing comfort in the midst of it is going to produce hope. Turn to Romans 5. Let me show you where Paul says this in, in just another way. It's really cool. In Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, he says, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, you you see this connection? What began in suffering led to hope. Verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings. Verse 4, that suffering produces endurance, endurance character, character produces hope. That's what Paul's getting at here in, in 2 Corinthians 1. He illustrates this again. If you turn with me also now to 2 Corinthians 7. 7. He gives another illustration of how comfort leads to hope. This is the best illustration of what Paul's talking about. I mean, this is a, this is a case study for 
2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. I just love it. So uh, chapter 7, verses 5. He says, For when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Look what he says. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me. So that, oh, I rejoiced still more. Look what's happening here. There's three parties involved in this. Okay, Paul's afflicted. Titus came. He brings comfort. But he brings comfort that he had received from the Corinthians. And comforted Paul with it. There's this cyclical effect that comfort is having between Paul and Titus and the Corinthian church. And you could even throw in the Philippian jailer back in Acts. But, but in our context, at least those three. Paul rejoiced. He was filled with hope. You see why he can tell the Corinthians with great assurance that his hope for them is unshaken? God is at work in his people. He's ministering comfort to them and to us. He's doing it personally and he's doing it through, he's doing it in a way that, that would give hope to other people. Suffering as the world knows it leads to hopelessness, not unshakable hope. Our hope is grounded in God, not in improved circumstances, not in our achievements or our skills or gifting. So putting all this together, oh, we have such a gift. Paul's a man who almost lost his life several times in spreading the gospel and building churches. But this God-centered perspective on suffering and comfort made all the difference. As Paul knew so well, we should also be aware that God is at work in us, giving us comfort. He's at work in others, giving them comfort. And by his design, our, our comfort can overflow to one another. So, are you suffering? God wants to comfort you. Are you walking with others who are suffering? Man, that comfort that you're receiving is not just for you. That comfort is equipping you to care for them. You know, I mean, think about it. What would a church look like where people still suffer and go through trials and they're finding the comfort that only God can provide as he provides it through his people? And I hear testimony after testimony that, that this is what you are like. And I'm provoked by that. But oh boy, to see this operating on, on multiple levels and multiple spheres of ministry and different areas of the church and different age groups so that again, it's not limited to like experiences or like seasons of life, but there's, there's this comfort going around because God's providing it to people and people are being comforted and finding that comfort and using it to comfort others. Oh, what, what a way the gospel would be put on display for the world to see that, that I trust would result in saving comfort for many. That's what God wants to work in the church. What a place of hope that would be. What a central place the gospel would enjoy there. Where, what, what a context where the love of Jesus would truly be incarnated and the lost would be saved. Oh, this is the great work that we're called to and privileged to be a part of. That God comforts us in all our affliction so that we can comfort others and experience hope. Let's pray.
Lord, oh, what, what hope there is in this. What joy there is. What anticipation that we can come away from reading this text and take to covenant group and take to our different ministry meetings and realize that, God, you are at work ministering comfort to these people around me. And that, that, I am, that, that no one is ever disqualified from being able to care and love and comfort someone else. But the, because you have met us, specifically and individually, oh, the comfort that we're receiving is going to impact others. I pray that you make that a reality. I know it is a reality in Lakeview. I pray that you'd make it more so of a reality, God. That the comfort that people experience would spread out and overflow and spill into other people's lives, God, as you meet your precious people in the midst of their difficulty. Thank you that you comfort us so that we can comfort others. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.